Hey there, welcome back to Friendly Ties. Today, we are talking about a very old game. We're gonna talk about Sealand. So I'm joined by my friends, Jonathan and Nick. Hello. Hello. And yeah, so Sealand, guys, let's, uh, let's talk about it. When did this one come out? I just said very old, so I hope I was just thinking as I said that I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> is it old?" I think it's old. It's got to be old. It's got to be at least seven years old. Two thousand ten. <laughs> I like the idea that something being seven years old is very old. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually twelve years old. Like two thousand ten is not that long ago. <laughs> twelve years old. That feels like an eternity. Some people would say that's ancient for board yeah. game. Well. So 2010, you know, it's interesting to think about, like, what other things happened around then. You know, Dominion came out in 2009 to, you know, put a pin on that. Same with Pandemic. So, wow. you know, this is about as old as Dominion and Pandemic, to, to put it into perspective. So, yeah, this is a game by uh, Wolfgang Kramer and Gunter Burkhart. And I had never heard of this until a few months ago when, Anastasia, you're like, hey, have you played Sealand before? And I was like, what? <laughs> had you heard of it, Nick? Mm-mm, no. No, nothing. But this this also isn't like my style of game usually. The like borderline abstracty Euros is not not generally my wheelhouse. Yeah. 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 Which we're definitely gonna talk about because this is this I'm gonna put this out there. I think it's pretty safe to say this is more of a John and Anastasia game than it is a Nick game. Yeah. It'll be a it'll be an interesting conversation. <laughs> so yeah, this is like a forty five to sixty minute tie lane game, um, I guess in the Netherlands or something like that, where we're all you know, putting down windmills and uh, harvesting cabbage, I guess, and uh, really getting in each other's faces. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the sea land. It's right in the title, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Is that what we're harvesting? Are they cabbage? I think it's cabbages, roses, and some yellow flower. I don't know flowers. <laughs> <laughs> if it's Netherlands, I have to assume a tulip, right? Yeah, you're probably yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, I think that is the case. Yeah, it's so funny because Sealand is one of those games that, so I'm, I'm a really big Kramer and Keesling fan and, and so are you John yeah but this is a game that I have had on my shelf for in shrink for like seven I years not, like eight years yeah. No, yeah seven years <laughs> seven or eight years yeah I actually want to give a quick shout out to uh, an old board game friend of mine um his name is Mike Reasley he's actually he's on another podcast called five by five and it was through him. He actually is. We we, we played games on Bodeju, and I, I don't even play on there anymore because I switched over. I play on Yukata much more, but we used to play Concordia on there, and that was that was like when I was really fostering my love of Concordia. Yeah. And he suggested he like came across this, played it. I think at a games day or something, and was like, you know, this is like a really lovely little game. And he was like, you should check it out sometime. And based on that, I like, I think I saw on Amazon for like $15 or something. I was like, I got to buy that. Like, that's, you know, a thing I do anyways. And then it just sat and it sat and I like never pulled it off the shelf. And I was so convinced I was going to sell this game that I like, I I just kept saying, I'm getting rid of that. I'm getting rid of that. I'm never going to play it, whatever, whatever. And then I took it. I I watched the video before I got rid of it, which I didn't do because I watched this video and I was like, oh, it's kind of like intriguing. And then it sat on my shelf for another four years until <laughs> I convinced John one day. I was like, John, I got to get this game. Like, I got to do it. I'm like on this mission to yeah. play every game. Yeah, you came to my house. I we, did. You, we That's didn't even right. know the rules. We learned it together. We played a two-player game. And I think within 15 minutes, we were laughing at how cutthroat <laughs> it absolutely it was. was. That's right. We had left our spouse's significant others in the other room talking. <laughs> we're like, we're just going to go play like this Euro for a minute, guys. And they're like, yeah, that looks boring. And we're like, okay. And yeah, so, and then we had like a knife fight. Yeah. So the main concept here is that you put mills down onto this hex grid. Like it's a tile laying game. And when you put a mill tile down, you put your own little mill token on it. And then once that mill tile is completely surrounded by other tiles, you score it. And you just get points for the tiles on the mill and the the vegetable or vegetation tiles that are around it, like, you know, cabbage and whatnot. Um, But 
the, the trick is on every turn, you're either, either putting a mill down or you're putting these vegetation tiles down. And it's a big shared space. So it's very possible that I could put, you know, roses down next to one of my mills that's next to Nick's mill. And now Nick and I are both going to score those roses as long as our individual mills actually score. Um, so that's like the friendly way to do it. Because there's actually a lot of like shared incentives in this game, which is, I think, part of the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm falling for it. Um, but you could also be mean and plunk a mill down next to somebody else's mill because you never score for other people's mills. So you could really get in each other's faces, uh, either putting bad vegetation tiles down or just straight up zero point scoring mills to get in other people's way as you're trying to grab points and stop them from it. I think this is a really good example, though, of a game that both sounds cool and there's a lot going on and we're obviously going to talk about it a lot. But Wait, is there a lot going on? I, I feel well, like see, it's that's very exactly my point. That's exactly <laughs> my point. And yet, and yet, I came off that first play with John so high on it and I was like, Nick, we got to play this game. I made a TTS mod. I was like, Nick, let's play it. And I played it with Nick and he was decidedly, eh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's solid. I, I don't have any. I don't have any beef with it. I actually think that the the, the game is very honest. Like it, it, I think it it's like a pretty straightforward package. Um, I think the how you run your turn is is nice. The um, it's a it's like a rondelle. You like choose this thing, but like there are very very clearly like strictly better things. Like as John was saying, you score everything and. There's just a bunch of numbers and like bigger numbers make bigger boom booms. Like, you know, it's, it's very clear, you know, generally what you want. Yeah. And then there's like a couple extra considerations there. Like there's the colors and like whether you're setting up or cashing in, right. If you're doing like the windmills or if you're um, doing the fields. So it, it, it does that really nicely with like just a really small package, but I don't, I don't, I would argue that there is not a lot going on and that's actually what's good about the game. That's the very, it's very clean. Yeah, this is not a Euro with, like, multiple paths to victory. Like, in this game, you put mills down, and then you get points for those mills. And then whoever does that the best hypothetically wins. <laughs> and yet, somehow, when John and I played together, we could take two hours to play yeah. the simplest game that requires... <laughs> So Anastasia and I have played this, I think, four times two players, and then uh, just the two of us, and you played it with Nick two players, and then we just like an hour ago played a three-player game, which is the first time that any of us have played a non-two-player game. And uh, this interesting thing happened where our three-player game took an hour, and pretty much every one <laughs> of... how long it's supposed it's to supposed take to. to It's supposed to. It's 45 to 60 minutes, but pretty much every game, every two-player game that Anastasia and I played have taken two hours, two very fun hours that were like have wrapped attention and having a great time and swearing at each other. <laughs> but it's, it, I think it's part of the reason I really wanted to try this with more people before we chatted about it, because it seems like there's maybe a couple different games in the box, depending on who you're playing with and maybe how many people are at the table. I think a lot of these abstracts and Sealand is absolutely no exception have that dynamic of two player is just very, very different from three or four player because of the, the zero sum nature of games, right? Where it's like, you're scoring points, and if I place my windmill next to you, that's minus points for you, which is essentially plus points for me. But if I'm playing that way in a three-player game, when I'm and I'm like, you know, making Anastasia's windmill worse, then John's just going to come out ahead. And so that that dynamic of like getting at each other um, is less appealing in a multiplayer version of this game. Yeah, I was thinking about that when we were playing because very early on in this play, we just played just now. John had the lead, right? So yeah. at, it, when we first started, like John said, there's a shared incentive element, but you all start around this like kind of central place in the board. And, you know, John and Nick placed their first two windmills like right next to each other. And I placed on the other side of Technically, you and Nick placed on opposite sides and then I got all up into Nick's business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For most of the game. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that is technically what happened. So John, being the aggressive player, uh, got up in Nick's business, and then they were just kind of like cutthroat at each other mm -mm. over on one no, side. No, John board. was cutthroat at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Nick, let's just, okay, let's retell this. Okay, so Nick was kind of minding his business. John just kept coming in there and messing up his fields. Well, I do think there's something with the, the turn order here, right? Because we were playing where it's like Anastasia, then me, then John, right? And so 
John has the opportunity to act after me every single time. Right. Uh, mm. Whereas I'm kind of left with what did Anastasia decide to do? And because I'm not so good at this game um, and I haven't, I, I've only played it the one time prior. I didn't like think about a lot of the times when you would do sneaky stuff, like I'm going to move a space and then I'm going to take another turn and move two spaces. And I was like, what? That's not at all where I thought anything <laughs> was going to be. Yeah. Um, and so I, I couldn't, I couldn't like, anticipate in that kind of way whereas john always knew exactly where i was at at the end of my turn yeah that Mm. is true that is true that does make sense and then i was on the so i was on the other side of this area and so i'm just kind of building out on one side of the board by myself and then and then you know john is is basically taking all of nick's work reaping all of the rewards and then coming out as the as the leader in this game very early on and um and then stayed the leader through the whole game which actually was a little bit of a of a bummer i'm not gonna lie from the three-player game um that that you had such a lead and that you never really that happened almost immediately you never really came back and that hasn't necessarily been um my experience playing this two-player maybe one out of those two-player games that happened but like for the most part it's been much more tight i think john and i have tied this game literally the first time we played was literally a tie we were laughing yeah. about it yeah. <laughs> i don't recall how the tie goes but i'm not sure if it's friendly but we were we thought it was hilarious and this is the thing we tied like 200 yeah we yeah. tied like yeah. two, 228 points each yeah. Just yeah. like are you freaking kidding me <laughs> and i think it's come down to like one point or something like it's come it's come down very, yeah. Some very, very close games. But anyways, to, to go back to that idea that like kind of you have a leader in the three-player game and then it's a different dynamic because I can think that's a little kingmaker. Like suddenly I want to like take John down. So then suddenly I was doing things that were good for me, but they're hurting Nick. And I'm like, oh man, I feel bad. Like I'm, I want to take <laughs> John down. You know what, what I mean? Like is, yeah. it, is it, yes, you're still doing that, but it, it I can see that it changes that chess-like quality of a duel you know of the of the the you know just two people going back and forth and kind of being able to anticipate so much more of what each other is going to do yeah it really brought to mind carcassonne to me um the first few times i played carcassonne i thought it was fine you know it's a tile laying game um putting things down you can be you know kind of cutthroat getting each other's way and whatnot and then i played two-player carcassonne a few times and i absolutely fell in love with the game and it's still one of my favorite games specifically at two players and i think there's a lot of parallels they're both tile laying games they're both games where you can get a bunch of points based off of the efforts of your opponents and uh they're both games where if you have three players it's kind of possible to to not be able to punch the right person at the right time. <laughs> Whereas in a two-player game, there's only one other person and, and you're always going after them. They also both have the, I put my thing out in this game, it's a windmill instead of a meeple. And then when it scores, I recollect it. So there's kind of That's that like, limitation of how many uh, anticipatory scorings you can set up. Uh, than than the other way. I will say I think that's a little bit more interesting in Carcassonne. I feel like there's something about the like economy of the going in and going out. Whereas like in Sealand, it only came up the one time in this game with you, John, where you were at a cap of windmills and it got in your way. Yeah. And I I, I wish that tension was a little bit tighter, but maybe I'm just too eager to cash in things that are on the board, and that's just a misplay on my part. <laughs> I think we felt that in some other plays of it, there's been the tension of like, I really need a windmill and I'm too diversified or I have none on the board. This is actually the first game that I've played of it. And like John pointed out, I think this is my sixth game of it. This is the first time that I didn't have any windmills on the board and needed to take vegetation tiles, which when you don't have any windmills, they they do nothing for you, right? So I felt like I took a couple of wasted turns because I didn't have enough. But there is... There is a fun dynamic of that that I that does harken to Carcassonne. It's funny that up until this moment, I never actually made that comparison. Funnily enough, there is a there's a lot of Carcassonne elements in here, yeah, uh, which is interesting. I mean, jumping off of the Carcassonne comparison, I, I would really like to talk about the rondelle uh, because uh, so far we've been talking about the you know the knife fight on this hex board and whatnot, putting tiles down. Is this but, like you a know, theme now? Like knife fight? Is that like just a terminology we're going to use? It's like I guess podcasts in a row. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess to a certain extent it feels that way. You know on the hex grid because you so often get in like physically into each other's spaces like 
you get points by putting vegetation next to your mill, and I could just put my own mill next to your mill, like, like could not be closer, and I just deny you points. Like, you're not going to score points from this spot. And it just feels like a proximity to the uh, the interaction that happens. I just, I get, what is hilarious to me is that I hate games that are aggressive. I, I like actively dislike still, them. John, still just not true. It's, <laughs> it's you like to like think a that you hate game where you're like, I don't attack people. <laughs> I think that I don't like them. Yes. John claims to be kind of middling on them. Nick actually, I think, enjoys fairly aggressive tactical games and yet this is this is i guess this is my style of aggression yeah yeah anyways you were making a point john and i i took you off of it no no, that's fine so in carcassonne every turn you draw a tile randomly and then you have to put it down on the board and there could be a lot of awesome decisions from that um but it's a random tile draw and you do the best that you can with it but in Sealand, there is this rondelle, and it has nine different spots for tiles. And the tiles are either vegetation or mills, like we've been saying. And there's one other spot that we don't really need to go into. And there is this communal pond that just wanders clockwise around a circle that has all these tiles on it. And on your turn, you move the pond one to, I think, five spaces forward, depending on something else I'll talk about in a second. But you have options. Like, you, you're not randomly pulling a tile and trying to see what the best thing to do is. You could, you generally have a whole bunch of these things that you can pick. And this is kind of hard to, to describe in a podcast format, but the number of spaces you can move forward is dictated by how many spaces you've moved compared to your opponents. There's this double rondelle, the second rondelle essentially, where the more you move the communal pawn means the more you move your own pawn. And you can only move within a certain amount of distance from your opponents. That's a long way of saying, let's say I keep moving like two or three times on my turn and Nick keeps moving once. Soon, I will run out of runway, essentially. Nick is holding this leash back and suddenly on all of my turns, I can only move to the next tile. It's functionally Carcassonne. I'm randomly drawing a tile where I see what the tile is, but I don't have control. And that's because Nick is is being really stingy with his, his usage of this movement ability. And the moment Nick actually starts using it, that will give me some, you know, leash again to be able to go forward. You know? And I, I, you know, you mentioned earlier on, like, is there actually a lot going on to this game? And I don't want to overstate that there is a lot, but I do think there are a couple of considerations. Uh, in this play that we just did, Nick, you, you spent the first half of the game barely moving. <laughs> to the point where I literally was like, are you, Nick, are you playing a mini game yeah. where you, you don't like, ever move? to move. Yeah. Because that's going to make this miserable. <laughs> and the, Anastasia and, and I had like almost no flexibility. Once around, you can kind of, you're forced to pay points to gain that flexibility. But it was an extra consideration. Like, do you jump forward a whole bunch to get that tile? Because if your opponents move slowly, then, you know, this really good turn could turn into some pretty lackluster turns in the future because you don't have that flexibility. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason that I created the leash, as the two of you called it, um, which I thought was funny, that is because you were making stronger plays than I was, but paying for them. Yeah. And so then by sort of like slow boating it, it forces you to have no choices on your turn. And so by being able to kind of like constrict what you can do, hopefully is my opportunity to catch up. But by restricting what you do, I'm restricting what I do. So yeah. I always have to be making that choice of I'm going to take a mediocre turn because then I can see it will be a really bad turn for you. And uh, this was a game, you know, the two of you talked about how it was like uh, looser and faster when you played at three players than two players. And I felt like I was one of the slower players this game. As, as we talked about before, that's not commonly the case uh, when we're playing. And I think it was because I was in that, like I was in the position of power to like kind of stop the two of you from having options, but then was it worth it for me to do that versus like what would happen if I gave you some power or no power, no leeway. So you can get into that situation. And then what was interesting too, is when I at one point kind of said, okay, well, I can't keep doing this. I need to go do this other plan then that power shifts, and then John was in charge of it. I was, in the game. yeah. I started slow-booting it. And maybe that's why this game felt so much quicker, because the first half of the game, Anastasia and I had very few choices on our turns, yeah. because Nick was <laughs> was denying them actively, which, you know, is is an interesting interaction. I mean, I think that that's, I think it was tactically brilliant on Nick's part. I mean, I can sit here, it's part of kind of the 
the way this game can go. And I think, you know, if you play this game, you have to be prepared that it, it does have some sharp edges in that sense where you can be like, like, oh, Nick, that's going to make this game miserable. And it's like, but it it's not about it being miserable. I mean, Nick was playing really smart. Like he was, yeah. con- that was his way of exerting control. And it was my choice to use all the, you know, spend all the coins, go to the front and then recognize that, my options are severely limited. You know, it gives, you can't just place anywhere on the board. You're, you can only place next to mills that you have. And that's why I was talking earlier about how this was the first game that I was playing where I just, I had nowhere to place things. Yeah. I had nowhere to move. And, you know, I, I do think that, that in some cases, you know, in addition to the idea that, you know, John, you had a little bit of a runaway leader thing happen in this game. And I do think it is possible and I, I'm kind of making a small assumption here because I think I think it's possible that in a three-player game or four-player game, and at times and maybe even in the two-player game, we've had that happen a little bit, that you can probably find yourself in situations for multiple turns where, based on choices you've made, you might not have anything you can do. And that I, that can be difficult, but because the map is so shared it over time i feel like it, it, you know as you said nick for as much as you were holding us back in a way you're also holding yourself back like at some point you either had to go and take what you needed or you too were just going to continue to take bad tiles i mean it's a rondelle it's, it's a random rondelle there is a really interesting tug here of choices of what do you take what do you do and then how does that affect your opponents and i think that piece of it makes this game more complex than just a simple tile layer to me. And I actually think that that I agree with you somewhat, Nick, that Carcassonne is a little bit more interesting in its own right because of the puzzle that you're playing out different ways to earn points. But this one is just, to me, it's, it's the same level of interesting. It's just different. It's just kind of two different mini games kind of played together. Um, I don't know if that's how you guys feel. Yeah, I mean, there's no pattern matching in Sealand. You just have to place a mill next to something else or a vegetation tile next to one of your mills, and you have a ton of flexibility with where you can actually go. So the game's just asking you, where do you want to go? Yeah, I think, what's interesting, let's ask this question. Like, which game do you think is harder to master, Sealand or Carcassonne? My instinct would be Carcassonne is harder to master. Hmm. Yeah, I think... Mastery? Yeah, I think I would agree with you on Carcassonne. I think the big difference between Sealand and Carcassonne is that in Sealand, the pieces that you're putting out there, like you said, you recall them, but you can always recall them if you complete them. But in Carcassonne, there is this uh, this moment where you have to put uh, workers down forever. You know, the farmers, you put them face down and you're permanently removing it from your collection. And the moment, you know, deciding the moment when to do that and where to do that, I think is probably... You know, it's a consideration that you don't necessarily have uh, in Sealand, where it's just all about trying to cash out as many points from these things as you can. If there's any of your pieces on the board at the end of the game in Sealand, it's worth either zero or potentially negative points to you. I don't know, guys. I mean, yeah, I guess, but I, I think I'm inclined to disagree slightly. I mean, I feel like they're about equal weight. They're about the same teach. Yeah. Sealand is does feel more abstract and there's a lot more math in sealand i mean that was a comment i was going to make anyway there is a lot of math like you are constantly counting up you want to just like get your get your math reps in (laughs) addition you want you want to practice some addition (laughs) practice your addition two plus seven plus six plus five (laughs) plus five plus two plus three go (laughs) i was like actually thinking i was like this would be like a great game like i don't have kids but like i'm like i could see like playing with this this is kids like a great educational game yeah let's just do a lot of math together yeah because so and depending on it's pretty easy to to look at what's going on. So you're kind of always doing that math to get a sense of what you're going to score. And there's a couple other layers to the game that we haven't really talked about, but that, you know, you're, you're making choices based on how many points you have and are you going to score this, this governor that needs you to have a certain threshold of points. And if you don't, you get negative points. So there, there's like all of these kind of layers going on. And I guess that to me is what makes... I think I think that Sealand would be harder to master because reading the board and knowing where to go, I guess, I don't know, in Carcassonne, you just like, you pick up a tile and you place it down. I just, I, 
there's there's something beautiful and zen and i actually i love carcassonne i'm happy to play it anytime it comes out but i i feel like this one takes more thought to me personally this is a super interesting point it actually made me think about something with the both of them right so they there's this whole concept of input versus output randomness and this doesn't have that in the same way i mean carcassonne does when you draw a tile um, and this does in terms of like putting the tiles but what you do is at the beginning of your turn you choose you know which of the next things you want and then you place that and the placement is very simple right it's the windmill or the farm um right. and in carcassonne it's you get this thing and now you need to decide where to place it and what the mode of your meeple is going to be are you going to go robber or farmer or knight and so yeah, it's almost, I, I see what you're saying, Anastasia, and it made me like realize that there's, sort of, there's like an inversion of where the decision point is for the player. Yeah, right. it's, it's not just what tile do you take, but is it worth the movement cost to you? Like, there, right. there have been many times playing this game where I'm like, oh, wow, that five of cabbage would be amazing for me right now. But if I do that, then I'll go to the end of the leash, and if Anastasia doesn't move on her next turn and looking at the next tile, she probably won't, then the after, turn after that, I'm going to take... That, you know, one of roses that does nothing for me. So, you know, maybe I hold back or that kind of thing. Like, yeah, you're right. There's, instead of drawing a random tile like Carcassonne, there's that decision space. But then the decision space of where you go is is maybe simpler because there isn't any restrictions. That being said, there's a lot of looking at a map with a sea of colors and numbers and trying to find the diamond in the rough. You know, every time you take a mill, at least from my perspective, I'm like, okay, this is a four power mill. That seems great. Okay, look at the board where where's the best spot and you know maybe there is a best spot sometimes there's kind of a coin flip um and actually that that leads me to something that i do think we should talk about you know input randomness versus output randomness because there is some output randomness in this game um Mm. you know sure there's the rondel that fills up behind the person you can wait see a couple turns ahead but out on the main board at the beginning of the game you randomly put a whole bunch of these island tiles face down on specific spots and you flip them up when you build one of your mills next to them. And those island tiles are generally good, I I would say. Um, They're going to be either vegetation, like, you know, a three of roses or a two of cabbage, something like that. Um, Or they could be a little house. And the houses have a zero on them, which sounds terrible because, (laughs) you know, that's plus zero points. But the houses also come with a coin. And on your turn, you can spend up to one coin to take another turn. And I know we mentioned this briefly earlier on, like the possibility of double turns. And I think that's another fascinating decision space of the game is is when you spend those coins for the double turn. But but going back to the output randomness, you know, when you put these mills down, oftentimes you're putting it down next to one or two of these islands and you flip them over and you don't know what you're going to get. It could be a six of roses, which would be amazing. But if it is, then it comes with that governor pawn that Anastasia briefly mentioned. And if you don't score high enough, with that governor, then you actually lose points. But if you do score high enough, you get points. So it's like a double-edged sword. And I know in the games that we've played, I frequently find myself like a moth drawn to the flame of flipping over more tiles because I just I want to see what's underneath them. Because, you know, there's no bad hit, generally. Uh- <laughs> yeah, you don't keep saying there's no bad hit. The number of times I flipped over a governor that is then like I'm like the worst mill ever. Then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like... There is no bad, but you need to be able to 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 deal with what comes, right? Like, yeah. you know, the governor wants to come check out your mill. Like, it actually reminds me a little bit of, they like to do this. This is like a Kramer and Keasley thing. Have you guys ever played Sansusi, either of you? No. No. It's not really the same concept, but I'm just immediately reminded of it, maybe because of the gardens and stuff. But it there's this uh, similar element of like, this person is going to come review what you're doing, right? They're going to come <laughs> like judge you. They just enjoy that supervisory concept. I, th- yeah. I think so. I hope I'm thinking, I hope I'm harking to it correctly, but if I remember correctly, yeah. Anyways. So yeah, like you have that that randomness that you don't know until you commit to putting the tile down. But honestly, I found it fun. Like I said, I find myself drawn to it. I know Anastasia, if you ever have a chance to put a mill down and flip three of these islands, you you, oh. you, you genuinely can't say no. I know. You just, I, did, you I said to no today. Them. I said no tonight. John, John literally no, was I'm like, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> John literally was like, uh, you're not going to be able to resist. And I was like, I have to, I have to, because I, <laughs> I have actually found in playing this game that I love flipping over tiles. I also love kind of reading the map and finding spots where I can throw a mill down and just get like 15 points or something like it, yeah. a, a, a fantastic mill scores you 
40 points right that would be like that's amazing that's but a, like a, the best mill ever yeah but yeah a, a, a good a decent mill you know it gets you 25 to 35 you know and um actually that's a solid mill but anyways yeah, yeah. I love finding those spots. <laughs> Out of context, this is just the most ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Solid no. Decent. Yeah, this is a hard game to explain. I, this is definitely, if there was ever one, it's funny, it's so light, and yet this is the game where I'm like, if there was ever one to go watch a playthrough on. I think part of the reason that it's hard to explain is because there isn't, it doesn't have uh, anything except for abstract components, right? It's like put yeah. these things down and score some points. And we're In like saying yeah. like mill and field, but it's like put down the scoring thing and then put down the thing <laughs> with yellow, the numbers green on around them. them. Yes. And then make the yeah. colors okay. And then you can score the thing. You know, it really is pr- pretty much right there at being an abstract game. Yeah, yeah, it very much is. But, you know, the, these governors add an additional layer of thought because on that rondelle, as the rondelle moves, the amount of points the governor wants to see from your fully enclosed mill, which really just means put a bunch of flower tiles around your mill and then yeah. score it when it is encircled. Uh, it and fluctuates. so that it fluctuates. And so that changes. So you're like, oh, I got to close this one because the governor wants low points and I don't want to get the negative points. So there's there's just like kind of all of these layers going on. And, you know, there's also then flip the board over and play with a completely unhidden board if you want yeah. to, which John and I did do once. Yeah. Yeah. All the all the islands, quote unquote, are are flipped over. So, you know, at the very beginning of the game where all the extra coins are to give you those bonus turns and where all the governors are. And yeah, we played that last week and I genuinely did not know if I would like it or not going in. Like I was super curious to try the, uh, I guess, strategic variant, you know, cause there's, there's no uh, output randomness at all. Uh, and while I did enjoy that game, I think I went away from it missing the excitement, the, like the, the, <laughs> what do the, I get? Yeah. Like, you know, crank yeah, like the, the, uh, the slot machine, like, you know, what's it going to be? I really hope it's red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think you'd like that? Nick, or do you like the the sort of hidden? I mean, I love exploring things, so yeah. I, I I definitely missed the exploring I agree. tiles. Yeah. I think for particularly for a game of this weight, um, it's it's fun to do that first of all, right? Like exactly as the two you're saying. But then the other thing too is I think that if it's on the other side, it just lends itself more towards like mm, if I go here, then you can go there. That opens up for you to like take this spot, but I want the extra action space and like more moments of like i won't go here so you can't go here which i think is unfun uh and and because it's it's random it's like well i'll go here and you can like hit two islands but i don't know maybe they're good maybe they're bad i'm just gonna do what's best for me like there's (laughs) there's less of that like oh i i've i'm such a dummy because it's on board that it's such a good spot for you to go there um I, I think yeah. I'd prefer the randomness. Uh, I know in, yeah. in in our game near the end of that two player game on the quote unquote strategic side, I took a turn to take all of the last coins on the board. I did a double turn, spending a coin I already had to make sure I grabbed the last coin so that I would for sure have a, one more coin than Anastasia did going into the end game. And considering you can spend a coin to take another turn, that could be just enormous at the right moment, especially when you're getting close to the end of the game. And, you know, that never would have happened on the regular side, but on the strategic side, I could see where those coins were. And I specifically ran out to grab them before she could take them. Yeah. It's kind of amazing to me that in 2010 with very prolific, like skilled designers take another turn is a mechanic in a game. And I think it works in Sealand because your turn you know, generally the action you're going to take is pretty tight. Yeah. So if I take a double turn, like usually it's like, oh, okay, I've planned my turn to take a double turn and it's not going to add that much extra like space in there. But that's like, like take it, take an extra turn or lose a turn is like, feels really old school, very unpopular, really? very old school. Yeah. I think I so. I didn't even think about that. That's so funny. Like, I'm like, I'm like, of course you do. Like, I'm like, it, it seems to work so well here but i think that's yeah. the, the part of that is because you can save it up and cash it in and i really liked that that you're that kind of decision, holding yeah. it is this the turn is this the turn yeah. i don't know i don't know <laughs> because a lot of what you do with a double turn not only to get yourself out of some of those sticky situations we've already talked about but the ability to like grab a mill and then grab another tile and like extend out and do a flip or like 
speaking of the strategic side in the game I played with John on the on that the side where nothing is hidden, there are a lot of opportunities to because nothing is hidden you can spread out on the map a lot more quickly the idea of ceiling being that you kind of all start in the center and then you can only add tiles to the sort of discovered area and so the, right. the kind of the area at the center of the board just kind of continues to expand out into the sides and in the game where everything was face up i was like oh well I can actually just put a tile here and then that adds this to the discovered area and then I can jump to the other side of it and then I can put a tile here and then I can open up this and like it just it expanded and unfolded in a way I didn't expect and that was the part that to me that was really intriguing yeah. it was very different at least in terms of adding variety I still think I would play the 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 hidden one I, that would be my choice but yeah. you know if we continue to play this you know uh, fairly often I would probably mix it up you know, sometimes. and, and It's just, nice to have the choice. It's just the other yeah. side of the board. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see yourself playing this fairly often? You know, that's a really good question. When when John and I played it that first time, I immediately made a TTS mod for it so we could play it more. And that was during a time, which is still the case, where I was on this very <laughs> old game. I'm putting this in air quotes. Old game kick, which is like, you know, like as you said, what 12 years old is not that old but <laughs> i was feeling myself very drawn which i still am to this idea of like kind of looking backwards in board gaming right like so looking for those hidden gems looking for the games and around the same time we played hellas which you can watch a playthrough of that on john's channel we played um spectaculum also yep. a playthrough of that on john's channel and and Sealand was one of those games, and I just was having the the best time with these we like were lighter when we finished that first yeah. game. Like it, it really yeah. sung that first time. Yeah, and you know, even though it took two hours, we had it was just it was fabulous. And and every play that we've had since has had a very similar feel, and it, it just it fits a nice space, you know you know we we play a lot of games you know where we just sort of like grab an hour and we do it and 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 it's it's nice for like the end of the night where it's like hey you know what it's 9 30 you want to play a game for an hour like yeah. <laughs> or two hours yeah. it fits that space well when you want to think you want something that's just not gonna all those games do that's not gonna take a ton of brain power and a ton of load up but having said that i do think that it doesn't have i i I had to be reminded of the shine. Like I'd sort of like, I put it uh, the other night. I was like, John, you want to play a game? Here's like six games I threw out and I threw it on there. And it, I told John, I was like, that's the one I want to play the least. And it's the one he picked. And I just, <laughs> it's just because it had kind of lost the shine for me. I was like, I, I was like, do I really want to do that math? Do I remember all the intricacies of the rule? There are not that many rules just to be clear, but yeah. there's some things to consider. And it doesn't, you don't look at it and think, ooh, like, what am I, you know, I, I think I'd probably pick Hellas over it. I think Hellas, for me, has been the game, the the hidden gem of the year for me. Yeah. Uh, but I, but now that we've, like, like brought it back up, and, like, I mean, seriously, last week we played it three times. Three times like, in seven days. Yeah, that's, that's, that's quite a lot. We played it back to back last week. Or, yeah, two, you know, two and, days in a row. And once it's in your brain, like, that was so easy. I was like, I was like, yeah, you want to play that again? Let's do right. it, you know? I, so... Yeah, I don't really see this one going away. Like, I uh, part of it too is John keeps winning, and it's so freaking annoying. I have yet <laughs> I mean... to lose this game, and I yeah, it's like I think I won on the tiebreaker, or we friendly tied on that one. But in it, we've had some really close games. But yeah, we played this for the first time a couple times, like you said, like six eight months ago, something like that. And then last week, you you really wanted to play Carnegie. I know <laughs> you did, and it was like not 1030 necessarily. At night. It was ten thirty at night, and I just did not have the brain to dig into like a deep strategy game where the things I'm focusing on and like the, the paths I'm going down in the beginning lead to the middle and lead to the end. I just wanted to look kind of at my feet and maybe a few feet ahead of me, you know, tactically and just make yeah. a bunch of decisions. And that's part of the reason why I think I like tile layers so much. It was the, the brain space that I really wanted that night. And also like moving forward, this really is just my wheelhouse. I'm much more of a 60 minute Euro gamer than I am, uh, uh, 120 minute euro gamer even though again we've somehow managed to play this in two hours uh, repeatedly but it's a brain space that works really well for me so i i also have a copy i got this one after uh, playing anastasia's copy because <laughs> i i really fell for it so much um I, I will say that playing it three players versus all those two player games i do wonder about 
the different player counts because I've genuinely loved this game, like loved it at two players. And the three-player game was fine, but it did feel a little looser and a little less serious in a way. And I think it's because you just have to play a little bit more tactical because there's two other people that can mess things up and you don't know how those things are going to collide. I think, you know, the two-player version of this game is like a 9 out of 10 maybe even 10 out of 10. I've been loving this one at two players. The three-player game is is maybe more like seven. And I, I, know, I don't know what a four-player game would be like. I wouldn't say no to it, but it's it's interesting how different they are. But I think I would give the same exact numbers to Carcassonne for those different player counts. <laughs> hmm. One thing that we were talking about earlier, we were just joking about the math that you have to do. That's like third grade math, but you have to do a lot of it. Yeah. And I was thinking about actually playing this game with with you know kids like I, I could see actually like i like wish that this game existed when i was a kid because mm-hmm. i know i was a gamer kid right my parents were gamers and so we definitely could have put this on the table i could have been like you know totally solid at the game um and enjoyed it but then as you kind of like are developing your gaming skills you're just seeing oh it's not even just i'm not just maximizing my points i'm trying to decide like where down the line do i want to go or like how do i want to set this up so I can have kind of a better turn in the future or stop them from having a good turn right now. And so the fact that it can, you can play it totally respectably by just being like, I'm gonna make the big numbers go boom um, and do what seems best like right now in the immediate moment, or you can graduate to, I'm gonna think a couple steps ahead, I think is a cool aspect of this game um, that on repeated plays, you know, people could really develop their gaming skills through it, which I think is is not all games have that. And this one I think does. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And, you know, when you think about a lot of, I don't mean to group them together because this is just Kramer. And who's the co-designer on this one, John? Gunter Burkhart. What else has he done? I don't know his... Uh, a bunch of things. Um, yeah. uh, Maori is the first one that jumps out to me that I genuinely really like Maori. Ulm is a Euro game from like five or six years ago that I thought was fine. Mm, I've heard but but Maori is a super cool tile laying game um, where you have this kind of a, kind of a rondelle around a grid of, of squares and you're building out islands. I, I think you'd really dig it. It's got some Vikings vibes to it. Well, I was actually going to go straight to Vikings. <laughs> 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 funny you should say that. And I, you know, it's funny because I kind of loop Kramer and Keesling together, even though they don't always design together. Clearly, they didn't design this one together. Yeah. And I've always kind of gone back and wondered, like, over time, I've been like, do I like more? Am I more of a Kramer girl? Am I more of a Keesling girl? And I, I'm not. I'm a <laughs> both. I, I, <laughs> uh, I, so I, it also just cracks me up because, like, Kramer and Kies- Keesling sounds like some business in 1920s new york <laughs> yeah that like sells meats or something like that 100 percent. um but you know vikings i've talked about a number of times i gotta get you guys to play vikings more we i would i would love i'm to down do that. i love tiling i just that their games and again grouping here but the games uh that they've had a hand in generally for me have been some of my favorite light i don't even call them light because they're so, they're, they're, so, they're exactly what you're talking about nick they're like the rules light s- rules light simpler tile layers often depends on the game but there's there's always like a some kind of math component but there's like these layers and you can play the simple version or you can play the not simple version and i actually recently you know john and i were on like a knitsia kick couple months ago too kind of right after we played this and similarly i do just kind of appreciate these older euros for that for that kind of layered you can it's they're easy to get into you can totally enjoy your first game you could be younger and play it and get it and then develop more skills but even as an older gamer you know i feel like i can develop with a game like this where the more i play it the easier it is for me to read the board, the easier it is for me to do it, the more I can see the layers. Vikings, I always go back to because for me, that was probably the first board game I played because I played it so much. I played it so many times on Yukata. And I, uh, you know, we talked, you know, when we're talking about Nick, you know, training, quote unquote, for the World Board Gaming Championships, like I felt like I trained in that game. Like I just, I wanted to get good at it. I wanted to understand it. And I, 
now I play that game completely differently than I would than I played it, you know, when I first started. And I I love that it's such a simple game can do that. And I feel that that's sort of what's happening here with Sealand. Like I think John has gotten very good at this game. It's very annoying because we played it the same number of times. <laughs> and I am still kind of waiting to see, you know, talked about mastery. I'm still I'm still waiting to see what I'm missing because I am not clicking. My my choices are not being as smart as John's. And I find that both like frustrating and exciting because that's a challenge. I kind of want to, you know, a puzzle I want to figure out. I mean, part of the reason why I was all up in Nick's business in this play that we just did is because that's what I'm used to. You know, we played all these two-player games and just, you know, trying to get these incremental advantages in a, you know, one versus one type setting. I just kind of used to playing close quarters Sealand. <laughs> and like, I could totally see some people just kind of doing their own thing. You know, Nick goes to the West, Anastasia goes kind of North, and I kind of go East. And we all kind of build our own thing. And we're like, oh, that was fine. You know, but like, like I, I could see some groups playing this not cutthroat at all, you know, much in the same way some people play nice Carcassonne and they don't, you know, try to force other people's castles into unbuildable orientations and whatnot. Uh, just, you know, one person to the next, I it guess. It sounds like John plays like evil Carcassonne. I'm like, I'm like having some question marks here about... <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting, John, how you... You made a good point that by going off into the into the wilderness by myself, if you will, I, did a, I had to do all the work by myself. Yeah, like there's no sharing going on. Yeah. But I want to, before we wrap this up, I want to go back to something that Nick, you know, games like this, they just, you know, all that we just talked about, this sort of represents, you know, um, the Knitzias that I've been playing with John and Hellas and Spectaculum and Sealand. And all. we've kind of talked about this. These are really, these really aren't your jam so much. I mean, you enjoy them, you'll play them with us, but I don't think you, you get quite you don't the get same excited enjoyment. like we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But is that a question or just a yeah? Call that was well, no, it was a question. It was it was why? Yeah, why? Yeah, I think I, I think one of the things that I really enjoy about playing new games is like deconstructing new systems and figuring out like how this and that interacts with each other, interlocks with each other, and a lot of these games they're not interested in doing that, right? Like Sealand is interested in getting you into playing the game ASAP. There's not a lot to like unlock there. Um, you can, you know, develop your mastery over time by playing it and understanding like the dynamics. But like, I'm not a big chess player. I'm not a big Go player. You know, like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't tend to to go for that style of of interaction. And you know, I think one thing you mentioned earlier about me liking aggressive games, I actually don't think that's true. But the thing is that I like for a game to be very honest for what it is. And so um, like a game like Kemet, which is a very aggressive game, I really like because it basically just it just rewards you for attacking. And there are other avenues that you could go in that game, but like mostly it's geared towards you're supposed to be attacking in this game. And so you don't end up taking it one way or another. And I like uh sealand for its its elegance and its smoothness but am i playing this game to score points am i playing this game to stuff you from scoring points um and then what does that look like when i'm playing it i think the identity of it as like two and four players is is very different and so they just they don't they don't just like compel me uh i guess in, in the way that uh that a bunch of other games usually crunchier games are going to yeah i mean coming back to carcassonne i know nick you and i played a two-player game of carcassonne a handful of months ago on Board Game Arena, and I, I I feel like you walked away from it with the same exact thing, where I was just like, oh man, that was so great, it was so tight, and you were just like, that was fine. And yeah, I guess yeah. It's, it's just an interesting <laughs> difference in in uh, in preference. It's I guess you just enjoy more systems. Yeah, I do usually like more systems. Yeah. You got a few more things going on, which I think makes sense. I mean, I don't think this comes as any surprise, but I think, you know, Nick, you growing up playing board games in the way that you did, I think you can take apart, you know, a game much faster than I can. You know, oftentimes I feel like when we come to, especially some of these heavier games, I feel like when we get to them, it's like you immediately see a through path through them. And I'm like, okay, I'm over here drowning like in this <laughs> yeah. like pond, like um, that I found my way into. And you're like, oh, here's the castle. And I found the dragon. I'll say also that it's not, it's not just about heaviness, which certainly is like kind of where I incline. Like I'm, when I'm thinking about like playing games with my family, like we, 
got really into playing like the mind and the game which you can argue whether you think those are games or activities i don't want to get into that discussion at i all. love them i have no problem um, love. i'm a big fan right but there's there's no depth or intricacy to those games but you know we played a ton of that and the crew also like you know the crew is it's a, a cooperative trick-taking game like we played a crap ton of that and it's not you know very deep there's not a lot of interlocking mechanisms in those games either um, no. but there's there's something very it, but they're like the mind for instance is like very honest about what it is right like, yeah. i'm here to like fl- fling cards and then yell in frustration when <laughs> we didn't get on the same page <laughs> no i think it's interesting because it's it's also i wonder is it is some of it the abstraction because i remember the same thing like we played cape may which is arguably a lighter game and you were like yeah, I think you, we both even enjoyed it more on the first play even than John did because it was like, it just had, I was really into the theme, but I also liked the layers there. And I think that was similar to what, even though it was a light game. Yeah, I do really love when a game has a personality. I mean, it, outside of board gaming, my my primary hobby is like playing Dungeons and Dragons. So like things with like stories and components in that like do do really do something for me that I like. So when a, when a game has... I mean, when a game has a theme that like speaks well to the mechanics, that's amazing. But even just if the game has has just like an interesting dressing and it feels like it's going for that, um, <laughs> sort does of it remotely for me. Whereas trying. like, yeah. whereas like Sea yeah, Sea Land doesn't try. It's like it's about arithmetic and windmills. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah it does, that, that is kind of what I meant with the luster a little bit. Where that's a really like, good point. Yeah, interesting. So I guess uh, I think that's going to wrap up everything we have to say on Sealand. It's yeah. uh, it's fun to uh, bring an older game on here. There's a couple of others that you know, once even once we've mentioned that, I think we'll try to talk some old games when we when we all feel so inclined. It's uh, yeah. it's nice to kind of look backwards, not the least of which because that's kind of where my tastes have been. But I guess with uh, Essen coming up and all the cons, we're going to be getting all the new releases coming out <laughs> soon here. Hypothetically, but yeah, no, I'm really glad we talked about this one too. Uh, I'm still really digging it, in particular at two players. It's it's definitely my my current jam, and uh, you know, playing it three times in a week definitely says something. I'm looking forward to playing it more. I'm sure it'll get backburned relatively soon, but hopefully, a year from now, we'll we'll bust it out again, uh, reread the rules, and be like, oh yeah, that's right, I remember why I like this game. <laughs> Do you know, John? Before all of this, you were like, I never replay games. Like up until like two years ago, I feel like you played games like <laughs> like twice, and yeah. now now we got you playing games like ten times a week. Yeah. I have you to blame for that, and uh, awesome. and oh. thank you. <laughs> there are worse things. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, thanks to you all for hanging out with us. Yeah, if you have any thoughts about this game, if you know about it, if you've played it, or if you you know are totally confused about it, then uh, please go to the YouTube version of this episode. You can find a link to it in the description and write us some comments. We really appreciate it. And yeah, catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.